0: In the story of the Bible, are the primary villains also the most overlooked characters? This is the Bible Reset Podcast, brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Welcome to the show. I'm Alex Goodwin, here with Paul Caminiti and Glenn Powell. Today we're going to start a little two-part series on a topic that many people, I think, are completely unaware of in the Bible story, which is this mysterious phrase that pops up from time to time, the powers and principalities. So for me personally, until somewhat recently, I thought of the Bible story as basically revolving around kind of this one-on-one battle, right? God versus Satan. And there's angels and there's demons, but really it's more or less kind of a clash of the Titans between these two figures. But really the main underlying conflict is I think more complex than that and we think that a more fully-orbed understanding of these mysterious forces in the Bible's narrative are super important, actually, for understanding Jesus's victory on the cross and even the gospel itself.
1: Yeah, it's really one of those strange things, Alex, where it really turns out to be critical for the story, but yet it's not always entirely clear how these entities, the powers and the principalities really work. It's, it's difficult to nail it down. There's no systematic theology of the powers in the Bible, and it's probably not a good use of our time to try to create one. Um, and it's another case in which you just have to go with the story. I think you read the story, and you follow it, and you, you find these characters, these, these actors in the drama, and so we have to account for them, and we haven't always. The topic is pretty complex. Uh, it moves along with the storyline of the Bible. As as with everything else, things change. That's what they do in stories. And so the role and the story and the impact of the powers changes as the story goes along. But references to them by various names are clear and numerous enough, so they're definitely there. The variety here tells us that not all the powers are the same. We shouldn't think that there's just one like definition of what a power or principality is. It's actually a term that covers kind of a broad range of things, I think, both personal and impersonal. I think maybe a good
2: uh, place to start our discussion on the powers is from Paul's letter uh, to the Colossians, and he writes, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, you know, we have here Paul, the consummate theologian, you know, shedding some new light about the creation story. And essentially he says that God created in two dimensions, the visible And the mysterious invisible. And, you know, the Genesis account is primarily kind of an account of the visible creation. There's the physical universe, the heavens, the earth, the vegetation, et cetera. And then there's the creatures, the animal kingdom, and the humans. And the, you know, visible is amazing. It's freighted with potential. The story, you know, says at every turn when God creates something, it's good, it's good. It's very good. And then the story and uh, the good vibes get interrupted, and there's this mysterious creature that slithers onto the scene. And to Glenn's earlier point, we're told precious little about this sinister creature, but it's maybe the Bible's first inkling of this invisible dimension that Paul talks about, and he refers to it as thrones and powers and rulers and authorities. So Paul, you know, takes us back to the very beginning of the story to the creation to describe these thrones and these powers and these rulers who were created, you know, through and originally for Christ's service.
0: Yeah. And for me, when I read that passage, I've read that passage in Colossians before, and I guess I just glossed over that invisible part and and just thought of thr- thrones and powers and rulers and authorities as earthly kings and earthly kingdoms. And, you know, the, the people uh, and the humans that have power uh, on earth, I guess. And it sounds like there's more going on than that.
1: Yeah, it's one of those cases where, again, I think reading the whole letter, reading in context, really helps us. In this case, it's interesting in the same letter, just a little bit farther on, he uses two of those four descriptions. and you know, it's really interesting. He uses four different words to describe these powers, and they could be taken as human rulers. But he picks up two of them later: power, powers, and authorities. And there, it's really clear he's talking about spiritual forces of evil, invisible forces of evil, because he's talking about how Christ defeated them on the cross, and he didn't defeat Caesar. He didn't defeat Pilate or Herod when he was on the cross. He defeated the powers. So that's, I think, how we know when he refers to them at the beginning of Colossians, he's talking about these spiritual forces of evil. It's also, you know, these four words here are kind of an indication of what the Bible does overall. It's really fascinating how many different names they have in the Bible. And we're kind of using this umbrella term, powers, um, but the list is impressive. It's the sons of God sometimes, the gods, the heavenly council, the host of heaven, the princes of the nations, even just things like the force of chaos. They are unclean spirits, demons, the beasts that rise out of the sea, powers principalities, thrones, dominions, authorities, the elemental spirits of the world, and the God of this age. This just goes on and on. And so there's all these different aspects. The prince of this world, the ruler of the air, the world rulers of this darkness, and finally, Satan, the great accuser, which we have to say, we typically use the word Satan like it's a name. But it's actually a title. It just means the one who accuses, the great accuser. So Paul says these powers, like all of these, like all of this stuff, was created by Christ and for Christ. The powers began with a positive purpose in the intention of God for creation. So Christ is holding everything in the cosmos together, Paul writes to the Colossians. Everything coheres with him. Everything within it was created with the intention of fitting in and playing some particular role in the running of God's creation temple. The key point we want to make here, I think, is that the spiritual forces at work in the world at first had some positive contribution to make, apparently meant to work in cooperation with us, you know, human image bearers, who were made lords of creation. The powers had a God-given vocation, like humanity. They were made to serve Christ." So, and you know we're pulling this out of a simple phrase that Paul uses here, by Christ and for Christ, but there's kind of like no alternative. It, it's a positive purpose. And although the Bible doesn't describe this in detail anywhere else, the fact is they show up, they're there, when we see them working, it's almost overwhelmingly negative. But here we get the picture that God intended them to be part of the functioning of the world in conjunction with human rulers. So that's really where the mystery lies. Like, how do these things work together?
0: Yeah, and they seem to, of course, follow a similar path of humans, right? Created for a good purpose, but then fallen from that purpose. And unlike humans, there's no real direct account. There's no story of the powers falling or the powers rebelling against God's intention for them. But there is evidence all over the place about how they've taken up this negative role in creation, sort of acting counter to God's purposes. And there's this wild passage uh, in Psalm 82 about these powers being members of the heavenly council, which I'd never really seen before until we started diving into this topic. And it's just, just kind of crazy. So Mm. I'll go ahead and just read it in its entirety. And and then we can talk about it. Here it is. God presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. How long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant. They wander about in darkness while the whole world is shaken to the core. I say, You are gods. You are children of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all the nations belong to you. So, like you said, Glenn, it sounds like they were made for good purposes. They're on this heavenly council of sorts. Um, but they're not fulfilling their good purposes and they're not following God's love for justice, defending the rights of the oppressed, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. And just one quick comment about that. I find it fascinating <laughs> that this is exactly the same list of things that the prophets regularly accuse Israel's human rulers of doing neglecting God's laws for the poor, watching out for those who are oppressed, taking care of the world in the right way. And here, He's talking exclusively to the powers, right, the heavenly council. So somehow both sides are responsible. This is just fascinating, I think, about how the world actually works. Yeah, it is. It is
2: fascinating. And, um, you know, we, we live in in this wild universe, and we've perhaps been under the impression that it's God and us Uh but there are there are these additional powers that are at work and they are mysterious. There's there's actually another um, kind of high mystery in the invisible kingdom that Paul talks about. Yeah. And that is that there are some hints and clues that the natural world seems to be infected with this desire to resist uh, the flourishing creation so, for example, you know, the sea is spoken of as being inhabited by monsters, the Leviathan, and and that nature is a real threat to human safety and well-being. and there are these again, mysterious forces of call them chaos, that are disrupting the harmony in god's world. And you know, I think this view and the hints and clues that we see is you know somewhat antithetical to the popular theological position that God directly orchestrates all acts of nature And I still Mm. remember a few years ago after some wild storm swept through Kansas or Nebraska and multiple tornadoes and people were killed and what have you. And a a popular public theologian made the statement that each one of those, you know, tornadoes was the finger of God. And um, Mm. this this there seems to be, uh, again, this strange thing that. There is a force of chaos that has been unleashed in the world, and somehow this is tied um, to to the powers. And so, you know, fortunately, uh, in the final act, you know, Isaiah talks about Yahweh coming to rescue Israel on the last day. This new exodus, where he'll come with his powerful sword and once again punish the sea monster, who has been wreaking havoc against them. And so, we're told that. Just as Jesus, you know, tamed the winds and the waves while he was here on earth, at some point in the final act, um, the creation will be tamed once and for all.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a powerful kind of personification. And those, you know, those references to things like Leviathan and Rahab, they happen in poetic passages, uh, a lot in the prophets and in the Psalms, um, the book of Job. But. You know, we we don't need to take that all literally. I think it's a way of giving expression to the fact that there are forces um, that are wild and uncontrollable that have been released into the creation, and the creation itself can become our enemy. And if you watch the evening news, you see this, right? People are suffering the consequences of an untamed creation. And I think just another, you know, piece of that is we see that the original creation story was all about putting the right boundaries on things, things in their proper place doing their proper thing. That's the opening song of creation, a boundary between the earth you know, and the sea, between the sky and above and the land below. Everything's doing its right job. And so when creation doesn't do that, it's it's a part of the rebellion that is rooted in the world, even in the natural realm, not just in the personal realm. So- Um, The Bible's message about justice, I think, in the world and injustice that results uh, is that apparently both human rulers and the powers are responsible for the suffering and injustice that has rooted itself in our world. So God is the ultimate sovereign in this story. He's the high king, but he's delegated real authority to those under him, both earthly and heavenly rulers. This is what I think people miss sometimes when they talk all the time about, like, God is sovereign, God is on the throne. And it's true, he's the high king. But I think it tends to diminish the fact that real power, real influence, real authority has been given to these sub-rulers under God who are meant to be following his way in the world and leading the world to its flourishing, but that's where the rebellion takes place. So we can't discount how strong and important the role of human rulers and also the spiritual rulers really are. So, when we're crying out for God to come and set things right in the world, as with that last line in Psalm 82 that you just read, Alex, what we're really praying for is God to make a judgment about human authorities, but also spiritual powers. And it turns out that's exactly what Isaiah 24 says God will do On the great day when he comes and shows up to set the world right. Isaiah writes, in that day the Lord will punish the gods in the heavens and the proud rulers on the nations on earth. They will be rounded up and put in prison. They will be shut up in prison and will finally be punished. So you have the powers above, the kings below, somehow both are responsible. Both are exercising power to run things in the world. There doesn't seem to be a conscious partnership, at least on the human side. I don't know of human rulers who are consciously aware of being influenced and working in partnership with the powers. But yet, according to the biblical story, somehow their roles are interlinked. I think this is a mystery that the Bible doesn't seem especially concerned to explain as with some of its other mysteries. But mysterious or not, if God is going to reckon with both parties in his judgment, then I think we, the church, have to also account for the role of the powers in the world. And when we don't, when we think it's just a story of us and God, um, I think it weakens our place in the world because we're not accounting for the powers. And that's really the question I think that we want to get at today is, do we in our, in our Christian life in our trying to live into being a a follower of Jesus faithfully, according to the scriptures, do we take account of the powers as we strive to follow Jesus?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, really, we've uh, been talking about these vague semi-vague and somewhat mysterious forces of the powers but the bible does also talk about this it sounds like specific character right that we're i think more, most Christians are more familiar with which is the devil or satan right uh, yep. we, all, we usually use it as you know what is it a, a proper noun <laughs> a title of some sort yeah. um yeah. but but you said glenn that it's more um kind of a role that that this yeah. force plays right
1: exactly. It's like a description. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I think it's another case where sometimes we see popular culture kind of belittling this, right? It's just the little guy who stands on your shoulder and whispers to you individually to do bad things. And it's, it's a diminishment of the fact that there are actually serious roles for the powers in the running of the world, right? This is like big corporate things, not just individual morality that's at stake here. So I think part of the story of the Bible is that aligned against God and his kingdom, the powers have become accusers of humanity. That seems to be part of the way they disrupt the world in some major way. By accusing humanity before God and saying that humans aren't fulfilling their role properly, it seems to somehow weaken us, right? The Satan, Satan, has even become the title of the prince of the powers. That's who he is. He's Hasetan, the accuser. So the disruption of God's intended order includes calling out God's assigned subregents, that is, those who are made in the image of God and told to be lords of creation. That's humanity. The powers are saying to God, look, in the heavenly council, they're not up to the task. They are unworthy. And And again, the the connection isn't entirely clear. It's not explained because there's no systematic theology, but it tends to disrupt the rule of humans and kind of flip-flop to where the humans were supposed to be first place and the powers coming alongside them. Instead, the powers kind of take over and the humans are tempted to worship them as false gods or idols. That seems to be how the biblical story works. So this is what we see in the opening of the book of Job, where Hasaitan, there's a gathering of the heavenly council, these, these you know, supernatural forces, the sons of God, and HaSatan shows up simply to play the role of accuser, saying, have you seen, Lord, that all these people are failing? So it's this is a, a little sidetrack, but I think it's worth taking here just for a minute. Um, in the New Testament, we see that even something like God's own Torah can start to fulfill this role of accuser. And so Paul hmm. personifies Torah. This is, again, the strangeness of the story. And and I, I just think we have to start thinking of the story of the Bible more like Middle Earth, you know, more like Narnia than we do. It's not just a straightforward account that's all rational and, and God and humans just doing things. Um, There's this wild side to the story with the powers, and it affects even things that are by themselves good. I mean, what can be better than God's own instruction or law? It's holy, righteous, and true, Paul says. But yet, when it is misused, as what happened in Judaism, then it can become a power. It becomes one of the elemental forces of the world, he writes to the Galatians, that actually has turned on humanity— and has become an agent of more evil being done in the world. I think this is what we see, frankly, in the Gospels, when Jesus is um, walking around confronting the religious leaders who were using God's Torah, but using it in a way that actually put people into bondage rather than liberating them to serve God. And that's how something good can be turned to evil. I think that's at the heart of what the Bible calls idolatry, where even something that is good and worthwhile—think of nation. Think of family. Think of good things in the world that when they become an idol can actually lead to harm in the world. So that's another part of the story of the powers is how good things can go south when they're aligned with other powers, like the powers of sin and death, for instance, which is what Paul says about Torah. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's like the accuser sort of jumps the shark a little bit or, or eclipses its task and becomes the tempter. Like it, it yeah, just goes too far.
1: Yeah, and it, it all has to do, I think, with what humans do with these things. So humans have misused Torah. It's not that Torah was a problem. Mm-hmm. It became a tool for this objection and bondage of people, and it became yeah. a tool to do evil. So all these things are mm-hmm. interrelated, and I think that's... That's at the heart of the story of the powers is that um, spiritual forces of evil, humans with real authority in God's world as his image bearers, it gets all tied up with a fallen creation with the temptation to turn things to bad purposes. And so it's a complex world, right, that the, the Bible ends up describing, where evil is not simply a straightforward, I have moral choices, I make good decisions and bad decisions, it's much deeper and more more complex than that it goes into the very fabric of the world. um I noticed in the psalm you read, Alex it says the very foundations of the earth are shaken when the powers don't do hmm. their job right, and so that's I think pretty fair description of the world we live in
2: it's uh it, this is a sobering theme guys, and um I don't think uh, we should be uh, overly anxious about it. Certainly, that isn't God's purpose, um, is something other than shalom in our lives. But it is something that we have to face, you know, head on, and it is reality. And, the you know, the language that the Bibles, you know, use are somewhat vicious mm, and ferocious. Yeah. You know, Paul talks about... The fact that you know Satan is like a roaring lion seeking who who he may devour, which is what I always think of when I'm watching a national uh-huh. geographic you know uh-huh. chase scene where the lions uh-huh. are you know chasing a flock of gazelle or zebras, and you know where it's going and and but what they do, you know they they have a way of isolating the weakest member of the pack, maybe mm. maybe a you know a, a diseased member or you know, one of the younger members and then they go after that and I it makes me mad every time mm. uh, to to see yeah. <laughs> to yeah. see that to see that that going on and um I, I think that you know this is this is meant to be something of a wake-up call God's call to us as his creatures is again that we always live with reality and the reality mm. is isn't that it's just Jesus and me yep Mm. Um, it's Jesus and me and these other forces that are at work yes. in yes. the world. Yeah. So um just to summarize, guys, as we wrap this up, um, I, I think we've covered three main aspects of the powers that have to be dealt with if we're gonna live with reality. And the first one is again that the creation itself, declared to be good at its inception, has become a dangerous and chaotic place. And it's the reason why we have Weather channels that warn us hmm. and tornado shelters. Hmm. Uh, I think the second thing we've covered is that these fallen powers, although first commissioned, you know, by God to you know kind of be counselors in heaven, I think that's kind of a fascinating thing that God always in in search of partnerships had a, had some beings that perhaps they sat down around the heavenly council table and discussed. Uh, The world and the future of the world, but they've gone rogue and um, they they are now the gods of this present evil age is the way that they're called. And then the third thing is that these powers uh, have a target. They try to contribute to the bondage and the weakness of humanity by constantly accusing us of wrongdoing and failure and, you know, these charges against us are, are true. Uh, mm. But as we're going to see next week, there's, there's a radical shift that takes place as a result of the cross.
1: Yeah, I think what this yeah. which tells us, I think this is all a setup for saying, look, the redemption, if it's to come, cannot be a simplistic thing. It has to deal with this complexity of evil that is rooted in the creation in all different kinds of ways. Personal beings. Right? Forces of chaos that operate through, through the natural world. Like the coming of goodness and the victory of goodness has to be a multi tiered, complex, radical kind of thing that gets at this evil and, you know, deals with it at every level. Um, it, and again, like you said, Paul, it just can't be me and Jesus. It has to be the whole world as the Bible describes it and the nature of the story that the Bible actually tells.
0: I think for my part, this whole discussion, like you mentioned earlier, Glenn, sort of activates those parts of my brain that are usually only activated by Narnia or Middle Earth or, you know, tales that we would kind of talk about as fantasy tales. But we see that there's a lot more going on out there than we often think about. You know, I can, as we're recording this podcast, I can look out my window and see forest and and rocky mountains. Mm -hmm. And we always just... Especially in sort of modern Western times, we sort of box the world into this naturalistic, rationalistic worldview that puts God in his other box in the spiritual heavenly realms and everything down here on earth. We've just kind of got figured out. Um, But I think we're saying things are a little bit more complex and a little bit more enchanted than that. And I think especially as far as evil goes for me this has provided such a helpful lens for looking at things both throughout history and in more modern times where people get together and just do these insane things like awful things yeah and you're like what in the world could be happening there it's it's got to be more complex than every single person just having an angel on one shoulder and a demon on uh, a demon on the other and they're all just kind of making personal decisions to do something awful there's got to be something else going on there. And so I think this whole powers discussion helps me look at that through a different sort of lens.
1: Yeah, I think it, it helps us face the world as it actually is, um, which is a great thing about the story of the Bible. It gives us insight into what's actually happening out there. And, and what, yeah. when we think about, you know, we use words like power and authority, dominion. We have to think not just about political rulers, but the way we organize society. I think the institutions we build, um, the ideas that whole societies operate by. So again, it's it's personal evil, right? That humans, individual humans, can be tempted to do. But it's also the way we organize um, ourselves and and who gets the short end of the stick in you know the whole realm of things. Like um, just think about all the different elements of our world, economies, right? The way the world works. There's mm-hmm. there's politics. There's institutions doing things and. These ideas, these authorities, right, are embedded in these things and given more strength when they're institutional, for instance, than just merely personal. So, like you said, Alex, it's evil is complex and deeply rooted and powerful in all the ways that human culture, you know, is powerful and Mm -hmm. makes changes in the world. And then just one last comment. All these ideas were only strengthened in the time between the two testaments. So when the when the first testament ends and you have several centuries before the story of Jesus starts, in Judaism, those ideas only got stronger. So the world that Jesus was born into, they were all about um, the powers, the principalities, the princes of nations. These things were firmly rooted in Judaism, and that's the way people thought about the world, and that's the world that Jesus starts to deal with. I'm look, looking forward already
2: to next week where we, yeah. uh, uh, you know, one of the things that we say in our podcast to each other, one of our values is to find the human side of every one of these mm. truths. So if you've felt like we've been a little airy fairy um, <laughs> in, in this this podcast and, you know, wrestling with mystery, there are some. There are some very human activities that we're called to. Um, And Paul talks about wrestling against Mm -hmm. the principalities and powers and putting on the whole, you know, armor, armor of God. But, you know, maybe just to wrap this at the end, it would be simply sufficient to say, um, let's let's have a reality check. The world is not a playground. It is a battleground. (laughs) That doesn't mean that there's not time to play. Uh, we, we can over, we can overcook this thing and, you know, we can live in constant angst and anxiety and there have been, you know, people within the arts, you know, that wrote books, you know, I I think of this present darkness kind of left a lot of people (laughs) deeply shaken and not able to sleep at night and what have you. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure that that's the outcome that we're, we're looking for, you know, Lord of the Rings brought together other pictures of orcs and mysterious creatures underground looking to wreak havoc. But I think it's a good, a good way play place to end though, that that the world that we live in is, is uh, not a playground. It is a battleground.
1: I think that's right.
0: Hmm. Yeah. That's a good word. All right. Well, this wraps up part one of our two part series on the powers and principalities in scripture. We've gone ahead and explored the role that powers played in the earlier part of the biblical story. And next time we'll take a look at what happens when Jesus of Nazareth comes on the scene, how he interacts with the powers and also what his death and resurrection mean for both the powers and the human actors in God's cosmic drama. As always, this episode is brought to you by our Changemakers community of donors who have pledged monthly gifts of any amount to help us change the way the world reads the Bible. To learn more and to become a Changemaker, head over to instituteforbiblereading.org changemakers. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.